Hello, this is Daniel French with a special for the Irreverent podcast. I'm going to read to you from an article that I published in the Mallard uh, last week. The Mallard is a new, dynamic and passionate conservative commentary that's been around since 2016. It aims to facilitate and spread ideas that do not really fit into the established political categorisation. It's for people of all persuasions who are unimpressed with the current political parties. It combines ideas in a way that is not usually done. It's a place for the political homeless. Mallard is available online and in paper format. I can't but highly recommend it. Much of it will surely resonate with you, irreverent podcast listeners. So my piece was entitled, Does the Church of England Want You? Nothing is more enticing than an organisation which is hard to join or mysterious from the outside. Groucho Marx famously said he refused to join any club that would have him. Even the rabbis are known to employ reverse psychology. A postulant would have to do a lot of knocking at the synagogue door before they were taken seriously for conversion. By contrast, inclusiveness has become the hip buzzword in the Church of England for 30 years. Everything has to be inclusive, and more recently the archbishops opined for how they longed for radical inclusiveness, presumably inclusiveness on steroids. Yet for all this jolly openness, Anglicanism and its mainstream liberal Protestant cousins remain in freefall. Perhaps it's time to rip up this tired and worn out mission strategy and put it in reverse gear. Is the opposite of an inclusive church an exclusive one? Maybe there is a type of exclusion or elusiveness which the church could learn to find its own reverse psychology. By this, I don't mean a church for the rich, white and educated, Anglicanism has already cornered the market for the middle classes, the Episcopal Church in America, for all its work fanaticism and quasi-new ageism, remains the preferred choice of the upper establishment. No, the kind of exclusiveness we could work towards is along the lines of personal holiness. Because a faith that demands nothing bar niceness and joining the tea rotor is hardly compelling, hardly magnetic, compared to a saint-making factory that is tough and bruising. Many are called, few are chosen. Matthew twenty-two, fourteen. In the fictional TV series The Young Pope, Lenny Barlado, aka Jude Law, opens his unlikely pontificate with, I'm going to play you here, The extract. That's the door. The only way in. Small and extremely uncomfortable. And anyone wants to know us has to find out how to get through that door. Brother Cardinals, we need to go back to being prohibited. Inaccessible and mysterious. That's the only way we will once again become desirable. That's the only way great love stories are born. 
And I don't want any more part-time believers. I want great love stories. In styling himself as a papal Banksy, elusive and hidden, Lenny exhibits the frustrations of many Gen Xers in the church. Those who rebelled against their boomer parents' insufferable progressivism, the churning out of crap hymns, the tearing up of creeds, the boiling down of religion into social activism. Had the scriptwriters cast Lenny as the young Archbishop of Canterbury, I should imagine his stinging inaugural sermon would surely pick up on comparable frustrations, including, importantly, the loss of spiritual endurance, what we term as ascetism. Somewhere in the soul of British Anglicanism, unlike its ever-expanding African counterpart, a capitulation to the age has hacked away its former sense of grit. The 1662 prayer book's call to daily penance, mortification, self-examination might as well have been composed on Mars. Lenny could tear into the reality that contemporary seekers of Anglicanism are now offered no mountain to climb, no ark to build. It's pilgrim's regress not progress. In the revisionist worldview, sin now means pointing the finger not inwards, but outwards, namely to those judged beyond the pale, the deplorables. Or let's put it more bluntly, daily mail readers. Wrongdoing and our spiritual health is now to be redefined into the spheres of new theologies, namely critical race theory, queer theory, environmentalism, and the usual bogeymen of Trump, Boris, Brexit, Israel, are all tossed to us in the pulpit to distract us from examining our own misdemeanours. Yet for all their balking at free markets and consumer capitalism, the progressives or revisionists within Anglicanism are just as sensitive to consumer resistance as any modern woke multinational. This is why during the pandemic the government manufactured gospel of safetyism was an easy fit for most churches. Safety long ago replaced salvation in our churches. Before the moral panic of absolute safety from Covid, there was a growing obsession with safety from anything deemed spiritually challenging. Like one of those helicopter parents, Holy Mother Church in her Anglican guise was already in overdrive, ensuring that none of her adorable children were ever tested. You know, nature abhors a vacuum. So what Anglicanism has dropped, the national narrative of the Second World War has swept up. And outside metropolitan liberal circles, we remain a nation enthralled with war heroism and all its mythos. Just look at Captain Tom. Vera Lynn's lyrics, Churchill's messianic promise of nothing but blood, sweat and tears raises our spirits skyward. And this quasi-religion is impenetrable, impenetrable to uh, the woke rainbow warriors, since 
to quote the hymn, her fortress is a faithful heart, her pride is suffering. In my parish on Remembrance Sunday, four to five hundred people turn up out to an outside service, even if it's downpouring or blowing a gale. Everyone stands in their Sunday best or uniforms, young and old alike. The 40-minute liturgy is identical year on year. In fact, any rumours of change, like you know, dropping a hymn or editing a little bit here or there, results in a delegation knocking at the vicarage door. It's that serious, folks. Maybe the key to growth in the Church of England is having Armistice Sunday every Sunday. My deep unease is that in its zeal to be woke, politically correct and all-inclusive, our established church, the church that I love, ends up painfully trying to appeal to a, just a tiny proportion of the population. Most of them say, for example, young social justice warriors, SJWs. They can't stand church going anyway. They loathe Christianity, even if it were garnished in oodles of radical politics. But like all pig-headed revolutionaries, there's no appetite with many of the movers and shakers in the Church of England to depart from anything which is in effect student politics. To them, the reason for church-going apathy is rooted in the revolution not being pushed hard enough. Diametrically opposed to Lenny Ballardo's vision, they cry out for more and more inclusion, more and more political correctness, more and more progressivism, cultural Marxism. I'm waiting, you know, for that awful day when the liturgy includes reparations for Eurocentric, patriarchal, heteronormativity. Curia liaison, Lord have mercy. The irony, and this is an irony especially for me, is that since the pandemic, there's been a wave after wave of ordinary individuals suddenly taking a second look at Christianity. And unlike the SJWs, who I think probably only amount to a few thousand people that we could ever get going to church, my guess is this constituency instead exists in vast numbers, but for various reasons remains shy of church going. However, even though they may be, let's say in the order of millions, this is not a constituency that the church appears to want to welcome or show any energy towards, maybe because they're mostly culturally conservative. For many in the upper echelons of the Church of England, the idea of becoming once more, say, the Tory party at prayer, is their nightmare scenario even if it resulted in the doubling of numbers and the trifling of the coffers, they would rather perish at the altar of progressivism. As someone who is writing and podcasting, I now find myself as a makeshift agony aunt to thousands of inquiries. I'm averaging 
two or three a day. And it doesn't take a statistician to appreciate that this is the tip of the iceberg. There's a commonality in their story. They're hungry for a religion that is going to stretch them, not one that hands them a tambourine and a parish magazine that reads like the morning star. Post-pandemic, they grasp that Christianity is the only mechanism for stopping everything falling apart. Some even feel that society itself is demonically now under attack. This shit is real, as one emailer began to me. These are people who never dreamt of seeing the world like this. But something deep has nudged and unnerved them since 2020. Many until last year were atheists or nominal Anglicans. And from the questions thrown at me, I would guess that they are generally well-read, intellectually ready to devour any wholesome Christian teaching thrown at them. Sadly, you know what I'm going to say. Sadly, having approached their home turf church, some receive a rebuff, usually from the incumbents, who clearly are thinking to themselves, not another religious nut. Do you know, I've spent hours on the phone listening to these tales of inhospitable vicars. And I want to underline that. Hours and hours dealing with these casualties. It's a good thing there isn't a trip advisor platform for churches. These tales of poor reception reminded me of the riposte sung by the student revolutionaries to the confused, love-struck Marius in Les Miserables. Do you remember what is sung to him? Who cares about your lonely soul? We strive towards our higher goal. That's what these people are hearing. I'm reminded of the wise words of Evelyn Underhill in her seminal book, Mysticism. Though a century old, it seems ever relevant and timely for a church that is yet to grasp how it may once more, to quote the young Pope, become desirable because that's how great love stories are made. So here's Underhill's quote. I'm going to conclude it for the podcast today. The church wants not more consecrated philanthropists, but a disciplined priesthood of theocentric souls who shall be tools and channels of the Spirit of God. And this she cannot have until communion with God is recognised as the first duty of the priest. But, under modern conditions, this is so difficult that unless our fathers in God solemnly require it of us, the necessary efforts and readjustments will not be made. God is the interesting thing about religion. And people are hungry for God. But only a priest whose life is soaked in prayer, sacrifice and love can, by his own spirit of adoring worship, help us to apprehend him. We ask the bishops to declare to the church and especially its ministers that the future of organised Christianity hinges not on the triumph of this or that type of churchman's theology or doctrine, but of the interior spirit of poverty, chastity and obedience of the ordained. 
however difficult and apparently unrewarding, care for the interior spirit is the first duty of every priest. Thank you for listening. Please do consider by supporting us on Patreon, sharing the podcast, getting the word out there. Thank you very much for all your uh, comments and questions. Please do keep them coming in. God bless and take care.